I wish I had telekinesis to grab the box of tissues that's like four feet away um, so I could blow my nose. Use the force brain. <laughs> Imagine there's a cave beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're hanging upside down. It's wiggling a little wampa? bit. Wampa? Is that a wampa? Uh, is that a wampa? No, the wampa was the thing he climbed inside of. No, that's a tauntaun. Shit, that's a tauntaun. W-A-M-P-A, wampa. Got it. Nailed it. Oh, wow. Good job. I was going to say wampa, but I went with cave beast because I wasn't sure that was right and I didn't want to... I don't right. want people to hate me for getting a Star Wars thing wrong. So close to wampum, too, you know, the currency of olden time. Welcome to episode 284 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another week coming at you live from uh my bedroom here in the cold mountains of colorado you're always someplace different brian i'm, I'm impressed with your ability to travel every week i am somewhere different <laughs> yeah i uh packed up on thursday drove to uh barstow california thursday night and then drove all the way from barstow to colorado on saturday or friday so that was fun and i'm home and it's been great although i'm still i feel not jet lagged but car lagged like have you ever done a 20 hour car ride no yeah there's car lag uh where essentially all you've eaten is shit and uh, well at least this is how i road trip is uh (laughs) energy drinks and fast food for uh exclusively for 48 hours and then you get home and just feel like garbage so yeah that's one way to do it i'm in recovery mode well i'm i'm happy your travels have been otherwise safe yeah i made it home safe so that's good Anyways, uh, we got a fun episode coming up. We got got some news. We got some follow-up. We're going to answer a couple questions. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. Yes, this week we are sponsored by Abstract. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage version and collaborate on design files. So what is the problem that Abstract is solving? Well, today, most design teams work on a bunch of different versions of the same file. And that means that they're a lot of times they're duplicating their efforts. And because of that, they end up overriding each other's work and they lose work. And that's bad. It sucks every time. So design teams are still spending a frustrating amount of time searching for files and exporting them from one tool and importing them into another tool and consolidating all that feedback from a bunch of different sources. And it never really makes sense what changes have been incorporated and what's been improved. It's kind of a mess. So Abstract comes in and Abstract solves this problem. How do they solve it, Brian? So yeah, Josh Brewer, uh, Kevin Smith, and Co., who, by the way, we've had past design details episodes with all these folks. Uh, Tom Moore, who's a, uh, an engineer there, uh, Kevin Smith and Josh Brewer, the co-founders, Tim Van Dam, who's a designer there. All these people have been on the show. Anyways, they came together to tackle this uh, these exact problems. They basically approached Abstract like building GitHub, but for designers. It is a version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work that brings your design workflows into a single unified place not only for designers, but also for developers and all the other stakeholders in your company that you need to collaborate with to keep your work moving forward. Yeah, so beyond assisting with just file management, Abstract does a bunch of different things. It, it improves collaboration and transparency between designers and the engineers who are actually implementing those designs. In just the last two years, Abstract has over 100,000 users. It's a bunch of different people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of designers. It's true. 
And they're used at companies like Intuos and Zappos and MailChimp, thousands of others across 75 different countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. And as the roles of designers and developers and product managers become more intertwined and the lines between them become more blurry, the team at Abstract believes that there's a more collaborative and open platform that can do this, and that's Abstract. It'll help with faster production cycles and basically make everybody's jobs a lot easier. So you should get started today by going to goabstract.com. You can sign up for free and you can get your team on board for a 30-day free trial. Currently, Abstract works seamlessly with Sketch, which is the design tool that I'm sure many of you use. And then this year, they're continuing to roll out support for more design file types, including uh, support for the Adobe suite. So lots of exciting stuff coming up. You should get started today. Once again, that's goabstract.com. You can sign up right now for free along with your team on that 30-day free trial. So go to goabstract.com, sign up, and thank you so much to Abstract for making this episode of Design Details possible. Thanks, Abstract. Marshall, we've got some follow-up. So uh, (laughs) we haven't looked at iTunes reviews in a long, long time, and uh, we haven't really asked for them. We ask for them every week. We used to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But we got a good one. Uh, This is actually from a couple months ago, but we just never read it. Uh, So this one's good. I'll I'll just read the last sentence because I think the last sentence captures it. Uh, By the way, a five-star review. Let go user 79. Uh, The last sentence of their review says, uh, they take their work seriously, but not too seriously, where it feels like you're sitting in on a British tea party. So Marshall. (laughs) Cheerio. Cheerio, good chap. Uh, Accents and all. (laughs) Governor. (laughs) Should I do the accent? You don't want to hear the accent. I think it's funnier with like the emphasized American accent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cheerio, governor. Oh my God. So let go user uh, 79, solid username, solid review to everyone else. We appreciate those iTunes reviews. Those tell the algorithms at Apple that you listen to the show, that it's good and that other people should listen to it. So it helps other people discover it and uh, is really motivating for us to keep growing and, and reaching more people. So if you have a second, if you've been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate an iTunes review. You can do it in just two seconds. Just leave us a star rating or, or write a quick comment. And uh, we'll we'll be checking those a little more frequently. And hopefully, if a few people leave a review, we can read out some of the better ones uh, or just some of the feedback on, on future episodes. I'm glad to hear that we're, we're being interpreted that way, right? As like knowing what we're talking about, but not taking it too seriously. That's, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. If there's one thing I could hope would be that I don't come across as like a wannabe know-it-all. I hope it's very much like these are the experiences I've had that have informed the opinions I have today, but... I want to explore how those will change and develop over time. Yeah. I hope. I think some people try to be gurus. And I have no interest in being a guru. I just want to be somebody who kind of knows what they're talking about, talking about things. Thought leader Marshall. (laughs) No, please not. Okay. (laughs) But yes, thank you, LetGoUser79. I appreciate that. That uh, review yeah. that was, um, it warmed my heart. And that's what those reviews usually do. So thank you. Much appreciated. Um, you know what didn't warm my heart, Marshall? Uh-huh. Uh, last week, there was a little website going around the tweets that uh, was basically a spot the difference for digital designers. It was called cantunsee.space. Uh, I'm sure some people who are listening saw this. Otherwise, you can go poke around at it. But it's essentially, a, here's a left image and here's a right image. Let's compare the two, and if you pick the right one, you get a higher score, and at the end, you get a, a final score. And what did not warm my heart 
was when you beat me, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I did beat you. I tend to beat you in these kinds of things, though. Yes, you do. Weird flex, but okay. So, <laughs> Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> this was an interesting kind of a quiz to take, because I think most of the questions were good. Yes, absolutely, this is the right way to do it. And yes, absolutely, that is the wrong way to do it. But there were some that was like, and maybe this is me just... Um, uh, explaining away how I didn't get a perfect score, but there, but there were some of them that was kind of like, uh, you know, like the tracking is different and it's not immediately obvious that that would necessarily be wrong. It's not so objective. It's a little bit more subjective on some of those. And those are the ones I got wrong. So explanation provided. Yeah. It was very funny to see how polarizing this was on Twitter. Basically half the people tweeting it were like, this is so fun. Uh, how good of a score can you get? And the other people were like, this is garbage and all these answers are bullshit and none of these are actually right um there was no middle ground which i think you've actually found marshall which is yeah there's some things that were probably objectively right and then some things that i think uh you could leave up to the taste of the person implementing it or or the overall style that the, the app is going for there's all sorts of reasons you might pick things that perhaps aren't like mathematically perfect i guess yeah i'm i'm, I'm joking about the explanation i i did get the ones wrong that i got wrong and after the fact i was like oh yeah that's what i got wrong but right, right. yeah some things aren't so cut and dry when it comes to design like some things that could be seen as an unintentional mistake could be an intentional part of the design system like wide tracking on your typography. Totally. I thought it was fun. It was a nice thing. It took like, you know, 10, 15 minutes to go through. Actually, it took a lot longer for me because I kept getting interrupted throughout. But um, uh, yeah, it was a fun little exercise of like, yeah, can I can I find the difference? And the first, you know, the first two, like, I think it's in three sections. There's easy, medium, and hard. And the first two sections were pretty easy. Um, when it got down to the hard stuff, it was like, oh, yeah, I really have to look at these two to find the difference and then determine which one is I'm better. I'm flicking my eyes back and forth 100 RPMs right now. <laughs> yeah. So my final score was 6980. Yours was? Uh, 7330. Yeah. So I guess for listeners, I think when I tweeted it, a bunch of people responded and basically everybody beat me. So <laughs> so I shouldn't feel too good about it. Well, feels bad, man, for me, but I think you did pretty good. But uh, if you haven't done it, we'll have a link in the show notes, but otherwise it's cantonc.space. Uh, tweet at us with your score. See if you can yeah. beat Marshall. 7330. No cheating. I'm sure you can. <laughs> See if you can beat me. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's fun to do these little things every once in a while. And it's like, of the things that are relatively objective design rights and wrongs, like, can I recognize those? Have I, have I built those into my DNA enough that they immediately jump out to me as being wrong? It's a good exercise. Yeah, yeah. And, and e even beyond an exercise, I think just having games in a space that should be approached very casually are a good thing. Like, we don't need to take everything super seriously. And if you can put a little game behind it to just self-challenge, I think that's a positive thing. Okay, well, it looks like Canton C, if I'm poking around the inspect element, they have a meta tag in the header for somebody called Al or somebody named Alex Frantic. Alex Frantic and co, uh, whoever else might have been involved, uh, is listed as the creator. So Alex and co, good job. I'll add links in the show notes. Yeah, it's Alex underscore frantic on Twitter. All right, that is some follow-up, a little bit of news and some games, and we have some more listener questions this week coming off of last week's listener questions, uh, but some new stuff. So let's get started. Marshall, uh, the first question comes from Twitter. The username is un untitled with a zero instead of an E. Untitled with a zero instead of an E. Don't mm -hmm. know how to pronounce that. Untitled, untitled odd. 
Untitled asks, what software does the industry actually use for UI and web design? My BA course is teaching us WordPress and XD. I'm assuming that's Adobe XD, not not laughing really hard. <laughs> Cartman emoji. Yeah, Cartman emoji. In They're teaching us WordPress and XD in first year, and they don't even have Sketch on the Macs. This is a dedicated arts college, and it just feels off. Marshall. Yeah. What's your take? Yeah, that does feel off. I would expect things other than WordPress. Maybe XD for prototyping, right? That's what that's for. I've never used it. I think they do full UI and prototyping. It's sort of like a Figma. It's all sort of baked into one. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a tool that people use. WordPress is also a tool people probably use, but I wouldn't say that would be in the top list. Yeah, I think I think you're right to expect Sketch. Again, I would expect uh, Figma. I would expect Framer. Maybe like Principle or Protopie or, I don't know, there's a bunch of them, but uh, WordPress and XD would not be on my the top of my list for sure. Certainly Sketch is huge. Illustrator is also really big. Okay, I think I agree and disagree. So I think maybe we can tease this apart. I think there's one element of your course, which is probably how to design, how to think about design. And for that, I think that's quite tool agnostic, just because sure. tools change, like, learning how to use Sketch won't make you design better applications. No, learning principles will. Yeah, learning design principles, not learning principle, the prototype. Yeah, tool. sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Unless Daniel Hooper has introduced some black magic into his software. <laughs> but there is the, the counterpoint, which is in preparing you for the real world, it is probably the responsibility of the university to introduce you to tools that you have a high likelihood of using in a professional setting. And... I think XD probably fits that. I just don't think it's as popular as Sketch or Figma. Maybe it's a little bit later. Um, I think Adobe has a little bit of baggage with their pricing model and accessibility for people who are dabbling, whereas Figma is free and Sketch uh, Sketch now has the paid model, but didn't they used to be free? Um, they used to have a free tier, at least, I think. I th- think so i don't know or you paid for one license for indefinitely instead of the monthly subscription anyways the pricing model used to be different that i think now it's yearly right yeah now i think it's 100 bucks a year or something yeah exactly anyways i guess the point being xd doesn't surprise me but i maybe it also depends on the school like this software isn't cheap either if that if you have a thousand students in the arts program and you have to buy a thousand licenses for all this stuff that adds up really quick so i could understand a financial reason to say like maybe they have a deal with adobe where they get huge bulk discount. You know, t- what, is, what does tuition pay for if not for this type of shit? But okay. Okay, great point, great <laughs> point, yeah, yeah. Like, what is the money that they're paying to go to that school go to? I mean, obviously, teachers' salaries and stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, supplies and applications are, are part of your tools that are necessary. Anyways, this is my this is my problem with the... Education system. Yeah, education system in this country. But um, yeah, I think exactly what Brian said. The, the tools don't matter when you're learning the, the ropes, but once you've learned the ropes, applying those learnings, it's very different depending on the, t- the tool. And having a familiarity and an affluency with specific tools will be a better boon to you and your job hunt than other tools, I would say. I would also say uh, that the tools change so fast that I think there is a little bit of self-learning that's required for people who want to keep up here. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning XD, but you might find that in your first job interviews, maybe the company uses Sketch, maybe they use Figma. And I really think that's up to you to have tried those things or at least 
have some familiarity with the tools. And it's not saying that you should have every tool, but having the familiarity to, you know, be able to assimilate into a company where they've come up with their own processes probably makes sense. Um, but it's not like you can learn every tool in, in the college classroom setting. Uh, there's just too many and they're changing too fast. I would say that there are some skills that translate between the two. Like, I mean, Figma is basically just a web version of Sketch. There are so many, uh, assuming you're not super deep in your muscle memory of particular uh, keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that, if you're just kind of getting familiar with these things, they're, they're basically the same. Um, and you can take lessons you've learned from one into the other with very little translation necessary. If you're super deep into Sketch and you have all of those keyboard shortcuts as part of how your fingers move when you're using the app, it can become frustrating switching from one to the other because they're not one-to-one perfect. But I'd say for a, a beginner or at least you know intermediate, you can go back and forth between the two pretty easily, especially if you're mostly using your mouse instead of keyboard shortcuts. But to the point of doing these things on your own, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Most of the stuff I learned that was useful in college, I taught myself. You know, It didn't come from class. It came from expanding upon things I learned in class and taking them outside and you know expanding my knowledge on my own. And that included purchasing applications that were not provided by my schooling. And luckily, there are education discounts for a lot of these things. That's true. So, that's true. Um, yeah. You can get them cheaper than if you were not in school. So that's always a, a bonus. And yeah, I, th- I think a lot of these things are pretty easy to get a hold of for a small amount of money and they last a while, right? And there's free trials for a lot of these things. So you should have access to them at least for a limited amount of time. Totally agree. Yeah. But good question. Yeah. I, th- I think you're, you're right to question which applications are available and you, you have your finger on the pulse of the industry. Sketch is certainly pretty pervasive. Yes. Cool. So thank you for the question untitled. We have another question. Uh, this one comes from Chris Doner and I will pose it to you, Brian. Cool. He asks, how can designers get involved in open source? Oh boy. Mm-hmm. I have a, a couple thoughts here and it loosely is um, there are lots of ways to contribute to open source beyond having knowledge in programming. So I think if you look at a lot of open source projects that are underfunded or they're very small, there are just a shit ton of quick wins that actually make the experience of using and developing for that project better. And it largely resol- revolves around words and documentation. So if you actually care about open source, the documentation element is incredibly important in fixing typos there, fixing grammar there, uh, adding clarity to sections. These are, these are things that anybody could do that doesn't require necessarily technical knowledge, uh, either in programming or in design. So I think that's a great way to just get started and at least build up some momentum of commits is find typos. Like it, it might not feel massive, but I guarantee you the contributors who are seeing those pull requests really, really appreciate it. It adds a legitimacy to the project itself too. Like anytime I read anything and there's type, it doesn't matter what it is. If there's typos in something, I immediately dock it some points of like, oh, okay, you guys don't care as much as you could. Yeah, there's so many levels of why just those kinds of small fixes are, are really important. The second thing I think is... Uh, these same projects that tend to not have a whole lot of funding or resources behind it might just have shitty websites. It might just be kind of a default theme or they might not quite have an eye for type design, especially when it comes to the documentation. And I think if you have a little bit of HTML and CSS knowledge, 
doing things to improve the legibility of documentation or even just creating screen recordings of, you know, here's a video example of how to do a specific thing or here's here's a really nice screenshot of where you should be looking for a specific feature. I don't know, there's all these things that you can approach from a visual and I guess user retention point of view, which would be, you know, is the documentation scannable? Is it organized clearly? Is is indentation good on lists? There's all these things that uh, perhaps uh, an engineering team might not have considered because they were just rushing to actually build the, the underlying API of whatever it is. So adding some of that layer on top, it's visual. It is approachable from a, a CSS perspective, so it's not super heavy programming. I think that that is also hugely valuable. Um, again, it comes back to the documentation. Like this is the most important part of open source is making it approachable for people to adopt and understand and know how to use. And the layout and typography of that documentation certainly plays a factor there. So that's my quick answer. It's interesting how designers and engineers are, there's a symbiotic relationship. Is that the right term? It's like a, they feed off of each other. One is made better by the other. Yes. And engineers are always looking for designers to help make their stuff look better. And designers are always looking for engineers to help make the things they design real. You know what I mean? Totally. So, um, and the, you know, the, your desire for an engineer to build the thing you're working on is as strong as their desire to have you help them make the thing they're building look better. So if you're looking to, to be incorporated in some open source project, my guess is the appetite for that is very high from engineers who are, who are building those things. It's insanely high. And I, I think as was with most things that you do in this space, once you start dipping your toes, uh, people will start to recognize you as an expert in that area. And they'll come and ask you for a little bit more of a complex change or ask for your help on something a little bit deeper and I think that's a way to build really good relationships in open source is to do it incrementally. And and you can learn so much. Play to your strengths. Like, I don't think you need to be concerned about working on the underlying API of a thing. If that's what the core maintainers are doing, you can basically augment and supercharge their work by bringing your own strengths to the table. So yeah, it's rock soup or stone soup, whatever the term stone is. Stone soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw some carrots in. Mm-hmm. That book used to make me so hungry for stone soup. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, I, I know what you're referring to. Well, it was an illustrated book at some point, man. That... Yeah, it was like a, a guy comes to a town that is starving, and mm-hmm. he says, "I can make, I can make stone soup." You know, it make this a little bit better is if we had a carrot. And somebody was like, <laughs> yeah, "Well, yeah, yeah. my my carrot alone wouldn't be a meal, but I'll contribute it." And somebody else has some cabbage, and yeah, blah yeah. blah. And eventually, you have enough food to feed the entire village if everybody just pulled all their resources together. So, stone soup, good episode title, I think. You know, that is, oh, I love it. I love it. All right, cool. The final question comes from someone who I don't think we should say their name because I think they wanted us to keep them incognito. But the question is, how do I curate a large project on my portfolio? There's a lot of designs between our web app and native apps. Should I summarize the product and try to fit it into one case study? Or should I select primary components and break them down into separate case studies? You want to take a a stab at this, Brian? Uh, Yeah, I can take a stab. So I think... My, I can only play to my experience here, which has been if you're working at a, a startup and you have lots and lots of features that you've shipped, it's fine to break apart those features into individual case studies in a portfolio. Actually, that has nothing to do with a startup. I think any any company, if you work on a sufficient number of features, certain of those features will be deep enough that they warrant their own case study. So my my experience here was with Buffer specifically, 
where I was at Buffer for two years, and that was like super early startup days. And I ended up working on all sorts of shit. I designed emails, I designed job pages, I designed analytics dashboards and all this stuff. And it would have been weird to have one portfolio entry for like Buffer in general. I guess what I ended up making was a page titled Buffer in my portfolio. And then it had subsections for each of those features. And each feature had you know, a synopsis and some screenshots and, and links to the actual thing that shipped. And, and that ended up working out pretty well. I think it got at least positive feedback during future interview processes. So yeah, I think it's fine to break those up. Uh, what do you think, Marshall? So would you have like one umbrella project that all of the case studies live under, but they would all be you know categorized under this larger project? I guess it depends on the thing itself. I mean, so for I can just read a specific example. So I, my umbrella was Buffer, the company. One project within that was when we shipped Pinterest integration. One project within that was uh, we redesigned the onboarding flow. One project within that was redesigning analytics and like remaking the graphs pretty. And so each of those warranted their own case study, but they aren't necessarily huge features, but like in aggregation added up to my work at, at Buffer. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense. That's that's probably how I would do it. But I don't do it because <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> this is are. my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> well, you don't need a portfolio right now. So. Yeah, I'm a lifer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, I haven't updated my website in six years or something like that. I don't know that I've looked at... Oh, I have. I've been on your website. Yeah, um, it's embarrassing. And also, I'm at a point now where it's like, I don't even know how to log into it. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Anyways, uh, yeah, I should probably just take it down and put a, put a really simple thing up, which is like a link to my Twitter and stuff. But yeah, I, I think everything Brian make, uh, everything Brian said makes total sense, especially from a consumption standpoint as someone looking at it. Like maybe they're looking for specific skills and particular projects match certain skills that they're looking for and they don't have to wade through all the other stuff so they can kind of you know zero in on the specific things that they would want you for. I assume this, you know, most of the time when you're making a portfolio, it's it's in order to get a job, you know, it's it's to show off your work. So I, I don't necessarily read this question as a documentation question, more of a, you know, putting together my portfolio to make a case for my skills. Does that make sense? Right. Is that how you're interpreting it too? Yeah. As we're talking through this, I think I'm changing my answer a little bit, but I think okay. it, it works with what we've been saying all along. I think the way I would approach this is the portfolio is trying to demonstrate that you can identify and solve problems loosely, right? At the highest level. Do you agree with that? I agree. So I think I would probably end up doing that in the portfolio itself is each problem that I solve is a case study. Mm -hmm. Even if it it's multiple problems on the same feature or within the same area of the product, or if that feature spans multiple applications or, or, or anything like that, I think the problem space is the case study. So... I suppose that's how I'd break it down. I think one of the benefits of, of breaking this up by project is that you could put the problems that each each feature is solving at the top so that it's it's obvious like why this feature exists and sets the reader up for understanding the process that you went through in order to solve these problems. I don't know if I'm making sense here. Yeah, yeah. I think you're talking about like the structure of the case study itself, right? Yeah, I mean, because I think the whole reason for a case study is it's it's a post mortem, right? It's a it's it's a gathering of information after the fact, and 
it's kind of an omniscient thing. Like you know all the answers, whether you succeeded or failed, because during the process of it, you weren't sure whether your solution was going to succeed or fail, right? Right, right. So this is this is a bit of a postmortem where you're saying, here's the problem, here's what we're trying to solve, and here's how we solved it. And setting the reader up ahead of time for like, uh, for this particular feature, here's the problem that that uh, was presented from users, or this is the technical challenge we had to overcome, et cetera. And then so that before you even read, you know exactly what what the punchline is going to be, which allows people as they're perusing your portfolio to see, oh, this problem is applicable to the question I would ask, or this this particular solution is something that we're looking to solve at my company that we're looking to hire this person for, et cetera, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think I agree. I think we're on the same page there. But yeah, I think bite size is better than large chunks. If you can break a large thing up into smaller things, you can maintain people's attention for longer. Yeah, you've just got a minute, right? A minute for somebody to poke around and decide if this is worth investing any time into at all. Your portfolio is an elevator pitch, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the faster you can hook them with screenshots, with the right keywords that, you know, indicate what it is exactly that you are trying to do, the faster, the more likely you'll be able to keep them around looking at your portfolio and get a, get a phone call for an interview or whatever. Yeah. I could see it if I was to like envision how the hierarchy could work from like a URL structure, you could have like the root of your portfolio is a list of all of the companies, I guess. But if you've only been at one company, perhaps it's just like here here's a list of all the features. That's a good point. Yeah, if, if your portfolio only contains one major project, it might be better to just remove that top level and have a bunch of smaller projects so it yeah. doesn't look like you only worked on one thing ever. Or even the top level, it can have this opening paragraph, right? It's like, here is loosely what I did at this company. Next section. Here are the features that demonstrate how I worked in these areas. And then perhaps a feature is sufficiently large to have its own subsection. So perhaps, uh, what would be a good example? Like, I don't know, let's say you designed analytics for uh, your company. You could have slash company slash analytics. And then you have sort of a, a top level section that says, here's loosely what I worked on in analytics. Here's the high level problems. And below are three sub case studies of how I thought about analytics. So section one was designing graphs and data visualization. The second section was data ingestion and user research, knowing what kinds of things were people wanted to know about like each of those would be so slash company slash feature slash sub feature and that could go on forever i suppose depending on the scope but yeah i'm sold where do, where do i sign up <laughs> how do i hire you brian well uh <laughs> <laughs> portfolio builder brianlevin.com <laughs> i actually have a link this is irrelevant to the question well maybe it's slightly relevant uh, I'll, I'll send Marshall a link to put in the show notes. I, I keep compiling these lists of product designer portfolios that I like, and people have found those useful. So I'll, we'll have a link in the show notes for other portfolios if you want to get some inspiration. Cool. Well, speaking of cool, <laughs> let's talk about some cool <laughs> things, Brian. of the devil, yes. After answering those questions, which is, is one of my favorite things as part of the show, I love answering listener questions and hearing... What you all out there have have uh, are, are thinking about and kind of what's what's on your mind. So, thank you for sending in those questions, everybody. Uh, looking forward to more. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about some cool things. My cool thing this week is another Netflix original. Oh. Uh, last week I, I shared Russian Doll, which hopefully some of you have watched and enjoyed. This week I'm going to suggest uh, you watch 
a show called Umbrella Academy. The Umbrella Academy. Brian, I don't think you've heard of this, have you? I know nothing about it. Okay. So it was a comic book, and that has been converted into this Netflix original, which on paper sounds like a bad idea. Most comic books turned into relatively low-budget affairs on, on these streaming services don't always translate so well. But this one does. Or I haven't read the comic, so I can't, I can't say if it's a, a faithful translation, but... Uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable, and actually, I was worried it was going to be low budget, and there are some aspects of it that are a little bit questionable from a CGI standpoint, but there is a CGI character in this show, 100% CGI, that is, like, movie quality. Oh. Uh, the character doesn't appear in every scene. They're they're sprinkled throughout, but enough that it's like, oh, they spent real money on this character. They They went all in. It was really impressive, but but the story is really interesting. It's a it's a time travel kind of thing, which you know uh, is one of my favorite things to watch. Yeah, Russian Doll being a good example, and it is a it's an ensemble piece. It's kind of um it's kind of a type of a what if superhero setup. Uh, I'll give you the premise. So decades ago, on one day, across the world. In seemingly random places, women who were not pregnant in the morning were all of a sudden pregnant later that day, and they all had children out of nowhere on this one day. 47, I think, across the world in random places, and this billionaire guy takes it upon himself to go find as many of those as he can and get them together. He was only able to find seven, but those seven make up our Umbrella Academy, and each of them have... A different superpower. Oh. And uh, it's really interesting. So it's kind of like this boarding school superhero type story. But then, you know, what happens to that family and what are the what are the results of being brought together by this kind of crazy billionaire dude? And Is this like X-Men? It's a little X-Man-y. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. They got, they got, uh, they all have matching leather costumes which is very oh, x-men boy. Okay. <laughs> um, or at least from from the movie universe yeah it's it was really enjoyable i think it's 10 episodes an hour a piece and it's the acting is really good there's some awesome side characters hazel and cha-cha are some of my favorite <laughs> side characters okay. in a thing ever really yeah really good writing i will say there are probably four scenes in this show that are direct ripoffs of other things I've already seen before. Okay. For example, if you've seen Fight Club, yeah. if you remember the scene where Jack um, goes into his boss's office uh-huh. and proceeds to beat himself up. Yep. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, sorry. That exact scene is in this, along with probably three others from different different movies or TV shows that I've seen before. I'm not sure how intentional that copying was if it was just kind of like oh this is just a good idea and somebody else did it but we're going to do it here too or if they weren't aware of it i don't know how you could not be aware of fight club anyways did that break the immersion for you a little bit because i'm like oh (laughs) this is like that scene from fight club or this is like that scene from the matrix or this is like that scene from whatever but it's okay I, i i forgive it those trespasses because it's super enjoyable otherwise as a kind of corollary or flip side of the coin to the excellent CG character that I mentioned earlier. There are some prosthetics that are not great. So <laughs> okay. prepare yourself 
for that. Okay. I think they spent all their mo- their money on the CG character and didn't have. I don't know. It's it's hard to. They they chose to do prosthetics. They could have done it CG, but it probably would have cost millions more dollars. So they went with prosthetics and. You just kind of get got to get past it, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I have since bought all of the comics, and I intend to read those. Um, I'm going on a trip here pretty soon, so that's going to be my plain material. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, really looking forward to it, but highly recommended. Umbrella Academy, super good. So much uh, stuff to catch up on, Marshall. I still haven't started Russian Doll from last week. Yeah. Well, you uh, you have some traveling of your own <laughs> coming up, so maybe you can watch it then. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll download some. Okay. Cool. Uh, Well, my cool thing this week is not necessarily new, uh, but I think now that there's three examples, it's worth calling out these really cool websites that people keep making. Um, So the three websites that I have found, there's probably several more, uh, is blackswho.design, womenwho.design, and latinxeswhodesign.com. So I think if I'm getting the history of this right, WomenWho.Design was the first of this style of website, which is basically... It's the first one I heard of. Yeah, it's like an aggregation of people in the industry, and you can sort them by role or experience and uh, have quick links to their Twitters and websites and contact information. And that was put together by Jules Forrest, I think a couple years ago, and she has kept working on it, and it's a really, really great resource for just poking around... Uh, people of this particular demographic who are doing amazing work and just need, or, you know, getting them into a, a place where they deserve recognition and visibility. And so I think that was followed up a little bit later with Pablo Stanley's com. Basically the same layout. I think we've found a good pattern for this kind of thing, but specifically for Latinos and Latina designers. So Latin exes who design. And then the most recent one was blackswho.design. And I think this was a, a group effort, but possibly led by Wes O'Hare, who is a designer at Dropbox. Again, same layout, same patterns here for filtering and organization and quick links to people's contact information and, and the Twitters. Uh, but all in all, I think these three resources in, in tandem are uh, basically excuse eliminators for uh, recruiters and, and design teams that self-profess wanting to be more diverse but end up just hiring a lot of uh the same people um this these are just really really great resources for finding or getting visibility on people who are doing great work in the industry and might not otherwise be super active on twitter or might not you know have uh uh i don't know what it is that gets people to be internet famous designers me either maybe (laughs) maybe something happened and, and these people just need the visibility so great resources and i'm uh, in deep admiration of the people who made these websites so thank you jules and pablo and wes and all the other people that have contributed and, and the companies that have sponsored these things so i think these are really great resources yeah yeah cool thing i'm glad i went first and didn't have to follow that up with a netflix <laughs> original recommendation <laughs> okay we can reverse it next time you can do something deep and i'll i'll recommend like um what's something that's good but shallow um I don't know. I'll think of a good... A Netflix original? (laughs) A Hulu original, maybe? I'll recommend It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia next week. There you go. (laughs) That'll work. That is a cool, not new thing. 
<laughs> All right, cool. Uh, well, those were some cool things. Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this up here. This was uh, episode 284. Holy shit. Like every time I, I say these numbers out loud, they just keep getting higher and it's increasingly uh, unbelievable. That That's how incrementation works. It's weird how addition do. <laughs> how that addition do, though? <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Before you go, be sure to check out Abstract. Abstract is our sponsor who made this episode possible. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. It is going to be your new source of truth for all the design work that you do, making it easier to collaborate with developers and stakeholders at your company, reducing the pain of working on multiple files with multiple people and conflicting overwrites. All that is a thing of the past when you get on board with Abstract. You can get started for free. Uh, they have a 30-day free trial for you and your team at goabstract.com. That's goabstract.com and sign up for that 30-day free trial. It's going to change the way that you and your team work. The product and team are, are just amazing and only getting better in 2019. So thank you so much, Abstract, for making this episode possible. And of course, thank you, Sarah and Drew, our master editors, producers. Making us smart sounders. Smart sounders. Uh, they make this show possible as well. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, for another episode. If you want to listen to more work that Sarah and Drew are producing and mastering and editing, we've got tons of shows on the Spec Network. That's all at spec.fm. We're making podcasts for designers and developers just like you. So go check them out. The most recent podcast that joined the network is called Framework. And it's a podcast about the process of researching, planning, and building products that are coming into the market. So once again, that's at spec.fm. More great work by Sarah and Drew there. So... That's it. That's it. That was a good one. I love these listener question episodes. Yeah, keep them coming. Well, Marshall, this time next week, uh, we will be recording uh, and I'll be in New York City. New York City. The Big Snapple is what I like to call it. Uh, the Big Snapple. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is your phrase for it. Yeah, we'll be on opposite coasts. Yeah. West Coast, Best Coast. East Coast, Beast Coast is what I always say. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> I like it. No, it's, that's good. Uh, yeah, so Marshall, catch you next week. Yep. See you next week. Bye.